the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. Today on Tech Nation, continuous monitoring. When we want it, when we don't. Should we share it or not? Or perhaps just part of it? Dr. Cal Patel, the co-founder and CEO of Bright Insight, talks about this brave new frontier, monitoring us when we're healthy and when we are not. And now, Dr. Cal Patel. Dr. Patel, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me today. Super excited. We often think of treating disease as the effort of developing new drugs to treat them, which is undeniably important. But another aspect, which is relatively new and which may become equally, if not more significant over time, is recognizing that a human suffers a disease all the time, 24-7. And here's where technology can help and where Bright Insight is working. Can you describe this new frontier of patient treatment and what part Bright Insight is addressing? Sure, Moira, I'd be happy to do that. Let me maybe break it down to two aspects, right? I think you alluded to there. You know, one is this notion of how can technology help us better understand what is going on inside of our bodies all the time, right? If you think about a typical person, you know, we might be going to the physician's office once a year for a checkup. So you're getting this small snippet of data being collected about you, whether it's biometric data, blood test, you know, et cetera. Um, and even if somebody is, you know, has a chronic illness, they're still in and out of the health uh, care setting for a very, very limited amount of a typical year. Now, imagine what technology can do. It allow, can allow you to start tracking how you're doing potentially, if relevant, 24-7, 365 days a year, right? And and so that could be in the form of things like, for example, a glucose monitor um, that you would wear, and it's literally on a continuous basis, being able to track what's going on with your blood glucose levels, if that's relevant to, you know, a condition like diabetes that somebody may have, or potentially, uh, not yet indicated, but potentially in the future for preventative reasons as well. So that's kind of the forefront of where a lot of this technology is going, is how do you actually start monitoring us when we're actually outside of the healthcare setting, and ideally, well before we show signs of any clinical illness and really start learning what's going on so that we can use that data to then make decisions, either lifestyle decisions or clinical you know, interventions that can keep us healthy, right? So that's one key area. The other key area you, know, you alluded to is there's so much innovation happening on the drug side and has happened, and we need that to happen. But what I would say is, what we as a society are doing is getting only a small fraction of the impact that this innovation could actually yield and should yield. So let's say uh, we take the example of diabetes. There are fantastic insulins that exist from many different companies, and there's incredible high-quality product being produced around the world. And patients that have insulin-dependent diabetes, very small subset of them are actually taking the right amount of the right insulin at the right time. And it's not their fault. It's incredibly complicated to know what insulin I should take at what time, you know, et cetera. And by the way, even for, it's not just a matter of personalization because every person is different, but then it's around what are you doing? So how well did you sleep? 
How stressed are you? What activity did you just do? What activity do you intend to do? What are you eating? What have you eaten? What do you plan to eat? So this is very complex. So you have this mismatch between this amazing innovation from a drug therapy perspective and the personal human application of that, right? And that's just kind of one example where um, there's a big drop-off between you know what the ideal should be and what the real world benefit is. And that's where technology is coming in, for example, here in the form of really being able to monitor key biometrics from a patient, understand what they want to do, and then having an algorithm as an example, really be telling the patient how much insulin to take when. Right. So just two examples of both from kind of the data that we can start unlocking that we've never unlocked in the history of humanity, as well as how do you think about all this great drug innovation that's already happened and really fully getting the value of that innovation in, you know, in our everyday lives. Now, let's talk about one of your products, Hyzentra. That's H-I-Z-E-N-T-R-A, Hyzentra. You've been developing this with CSL Bearing. That's right. We've been partnered with CSL Bearing for a number of years now. And our first product that we built together was the Hyzentra app for rare disease patients. Uh, just as a little bit of background, you know, the main indication is an illness called primary immunodeficiency or PI, which really actually stands for a multitude of rare disorders that cause immune problems. Patients that have PI have very weakened immune systems and it can be very serious typically. They experience very strange, unexplained symptoms their whole life. Uh, many of them actually have very bad recurring infections that really have a big impact on their quality of life and oftentimes can land them in the hospital. Uh, additionally, it can be very disabling. And because it's rare, it has the additional uh, challenge that you ultimately need to find a specialist to diagnose it and to start treatment. So patients can go many, many years before they get to the right diagnosis, which obviously is needed for then the right treatment. Uh, Hyzentra is CSL Bearing's drug for PI. Hyzentra contains what's called immunoglobulins, which is basically something that's extracted from folks who donate their blood. And so you take it from someone's donated blood and you put this into patients who lack this, right? And so you're essentially doing that transfer and you help you know, fortify their immune system. So before Hyzentra, patients were typically getting infusions at their doctor's offices. So they would have to go weekly, you know, just depended on on the on their particular condition uh, specifics. But you know, imagine somebody who has to go to the physician's office, you know, on average uh, once a week for the rest of their lives to get get this infusion. What Hyzentra does is really amazing. It essentially uh, enables somebody to now do self-administration at home, which, as you can imagine, is so much more convenient than having to go to your healthcare provider on a weekly basis. It's almost like insulin, you know, where yeah. you're self-administering insulin, although you have to do that multiple times a day, and you're only doing this once a week, but you don't have to go anywhere for it. Exactly. You don't have to go anywhere for it, exactly. And the, and the other difference between, you know, insulin and Hyzentra is that Hyzentra is not just a sub-Q or what's called subcutaneous under your skin injection. It's actually an infusion, which means that it's being slowly administered under the skin over a period of time, right? And again, for a typical patient, that could be, you know, plus or minus around an hour, right? And so patients... In order to successfully do this, they have to learn how to use an infusion pump. They got to understand how to use the right needle size. They have to select the right infusion site on their body 
And importantly, they have to rotate those sites. Otherwise, the therapy won't will start losing its effectiveness and the patient could have pain by using the same site over and over. Um, so there's a lot of complexity and, and patients need to get trained on, on how to navigate all of these challenges of, of self-infusion, not to mention, right, for many, there could be a, a mental challenge as well in terms of, you know, the fear of doing, uh, you know, at-home at home therapy like this. Um, and then, of course, we want folks, the CSL bearing wants folks to be able to live their normal lives, which means like all of us, you can forget to do important things. And so, you know, you're having the challenge additionally of forgetting to infuse or you infuse, but you're not tracking what you did and where you infused. And so it ultimately becomes a very complex problem to, to do self-management at home. And so PI patients, what CSL bearing learned was that they typically, uh, you know, will keep even things like paper journals to help them try to remember some of this data so they can do do this type of self-management and, and tracking at home. The app has educational resources and a self-infusion guide. It also allows patients to track the dosage of each infusion the time of day, the lot number, the expiration, just by scanning the QR code on the vial so they don't have to actually write any of that down or type it into their phone. They can also very easily schedule a reminder for their next infusion um, based on, again, their personal dosing regimen. And we also created for them a body map, uh, which is kind of a very intuitive and simple way for them to keep track of where they last infuse and be able to you know, easily rotate their, their infusion sites for you know, across their body in a way that's just to get much more intuitive to record and, and easier to remember. Um, there's also a journal so patients can track their symptoms um, and be able to share that infusion history with their physician, whether what, when they go into the clinic in person or via, via email. And, and this information becomes really important, to, again, to continuously personalize and optimize their dosing for how how their treatment is going. And all this info is securely stored in the cloud. Patient has access to it on their phone. Uh, you know, we have seen CSL now uh, have north of 30% of their US patient population using the app. And they're seeing great results with their patients and great feedback. Now, also with CSL bearing, you're developing a mobile app regarding a rare form of hemophilia. And you're using that in a different way and in a different way considering the arc of hemophilia treatments today. Yeah, we partnered with CSL for their hemogenics therapy, um, which is a very you know groundbreaking and innovative therapy. I'll talk about that in a second. But as you mentioned, that's for a uh, particular rare genetic form of hemophilia. And hemophilia is when your body's not producing uh, sufficient amounts of the right proteins you need for for blood clotting and and right other components you need for blood clotting. About fifteen or so percent of individuals with hemophilia have hemophilia B, and this is again not to get too technical, but a particular you know clotting factor that is insufficiently in, in being uh, produced uh, clotting factor nine. Basically, when these patients bleed internally or or externally, they may not produce a sufficiently strong and quickly enough a sufficiently strong blood clot. And so it could actually be fatal at times where they're bleeding, you know, the body just doesn't stop it the way, you know, I was taking my son to, to the second day of school yesterday and he, uh, six years old, fell off his bike, scraped himself up, you know, started to bleed. And by the time three minutes later, we got to his school, all the bleeding had stopped, right? So he's got, you know, that's what you would expect for for uh, normally. But here, a patient who would have that same type of issue with hemophilia 
they wouldn't be able to typically have have that right and they would need some kind of intervention if they weren't taking therapy so you know hemgenics is the first and only gene treatment for hemophilia b and it's delivered as an infusion and it offers significant improvements in bleed protection and really has the potential to reduce or eliminate the need for other prophylaxis which means like preventative treatments uh, so that patients you know don't have a bleeding episode so as you can imagine instead of going again through life where you have to do all of these preventative treatments and still feel at risk for a potentially high risk uh, event that takes you to the hospital if you have a bleed. Um, now imagine a therapy you can be infused with and really uh, has the potential to eliminate all of that preventative treatment and and worry. And so the quality of life impact here uh, opportunity is just tremendous for these patients. And this is you know an example of, of the of the power of uh, of gene therapy and and the game changing kinds of treatments that are coming from gene therapy. But the hurdles for the patients can also be significant to get on therapy, right? As you can imagine, these are innovative therapies. Some patients may just be hesitant to switch from a very cumbersome, but a treatment plan that they know and to get comfortable with this kind of innovative therapy um, and this kind of concept. You know, there's also, you know, a cost hurdle uh, for this and insurance companies and insurance coverage is really paramount to, to getting this kind of, uh, you know, uh, financial support to, to pay for an innovative therapy like this. So Bright Insight, again, we've partnered with CSL Bearing here to roll out a comprehensive mobile companion app and it's called the B Support app to support the patient in their journey. It's really designed to address the needs of the patients who get treated treat, treatment with hemgenics, where they may, all the way through those that may be even just considering taking it uh, and are on other drugs, for example, for hemophilia B. Um, the patients start using the app typically before the gene therapy, and they can, again, access educational materials that help them figure out if hemgenics is right for them, and it helps them prepare for the therapy itself. Um, you know, through that, they can also manage some of the things they need for prior authorization, which again, comes back to getting that insurance coverage. And the app also walks patients through the process of how do you switch from, again, this lifelong treatment they've had of factor nine replacement therapy to this now hopefully one-time gene therapy. So again, massive amount of opportunity, uh, but very important transition, very life-changing transition for a patient, right? And it really helps them go from that preventative therapy to hopefully now being one where this, this you know, one-time infusion um, lets them get off that replacement therapy um, and uh, and lets them track their bleeds over time and hopefully see that their bleeds have gone substantially reduced or eliminated. Well, you've got a lot going on at Bright Insight, but I do want to talk about one that is far more common, and that is uh, in the aging population, macular degeneration. And uh, you're talking about a companion diagnostic before and after treatment. You're using technology in a very different way in this patient journey. Yeah, that's a great example. So this is with uh, a different company. Um, and what we're doing with them is, uh, as you said, macular degeneration. And that, you know, that is, is your uh, you know, simple way to describe that is um, your your eyes are, are getting worse. And typically it's for as patients age or they have other 
you know, uh, comorbid diseases like, you know, cardiovascular disease, and, and that results in a, an impact where your eyes are worsening and you're losing your vision over time. And we partnered with a major biopharma company to build the first ever remote vision monitoring software as a medical device. So I said a lot in there, but it gets at what you just said, which is how do you have something that's in your phone that helps you measure and track how your vision is. And with that, it gets you out of the need to, again, go as regularly to your ophthalmologist and get kind of the everything's okay sign. And instead do that monitoring for vision deterioration at home so that only those patients that are again, clinically in a validated way at home, showing the signs of, of, um, of worsening um, vision, they're the ones that are asked by their ophthalmologist to come in for further assessment and you know additional treatment or retreatment. Because um, currently these patients, they may get their eyes tested once a year, right? But vision can change much, much faster than that. And and what you don't want to do is have somebody whose vision started worsening six or eight months ago be at home and not be, um, you know, in a more timely fashion assessed by their doctor and then have a change in therapy if appropriate. So the way this works is patients will download the app on their smartphone and receive directions uh, for doing home testing, you know, typically, um, you know, every week or so. And patients can, again, send their own reminders, set their own reminders for when they prefer to do the test. And once the test is done, and it only takes a couple of minutes, it's Sent instantly sent sent to the healthcare provider, and again they will get an alert if a patient's readout if their results are out of the standard range, and then the physician in their dashboard can see this and then um, be able to say okay determine what action they want to take, right? Which could be, you know, wait and monitor. It could be come in, let me assess you, you know, and then off of that, obviously make adjustments around uh, prescribing chain, you know, medicines or other interventions as appropriate. And if they prescribe a medicine, they should be able to tell if the medicine's working or not. Exactly. And this is why this is tied with, um, you know, a pharmaceutical company and one of their drug therapies. Um, cause what you want to do is not just treat the patient, but you want to know is a patient how's the patient doing after they're treated, right? And again, if you think about any of our experiences with different therapies, um, you have something going on, physician prescribes you therapy. They typically don't know how you're doing until you go back in six months later, a year later, or maybe you get a lab test, you know, after a certain period of time. Otherwise, they don't really know how well is that cholesterol medicine working or their hypertension medicine working or their diabetes medicine working, right? But with the kinds of innovations that we're working on now and with this macular degeneration example, now you can see, you know, as appropriate in a weekly or, you know, once a month, et cetera, basis, is that therapy working? And if it's not, it's so important to intervene in a timely fashion. So you don't have, you know, what could potentially be irre irre irreversible, you know, vision damage, right? Or at least have to intervene and try to, you know, uh, recoup some of that vision loss back. Well, let me ask you some specific questions, and it's all about privacy, and it's at a number of levels. Uh, first of all, do these apps automatically send your data to the medical team? So, you know, fundamentally from a privacy perspective, you know, our, our belief is that the owner of the data is that patient, right, and the company that's providing them that therapy. So it doesn't automatically go to anybody. Um, you know, the patient's really owning and controlling that data, and they're determining, you know, who should be able to see this. 
And so now let me jump to the big picture. Uh, This is a large privacy issue because now you're in a number of countries. You're in 64 countries, as a matter of fact. And every country has a different privacy law when it comes to medical data or any data for that matter. Not to mention people travel from, say, the United States to Europe on vacation and they're taking their medical device with them and or from one country to another. Is this a solvable problem? How do you do this? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question, Moira. I mean, this is, you're now getting at the heart of why Bright Insight exists, right? Fundamentally, you know, you could say, oh, you guys are building apps. Lots of people or companies out there build apps. But what we, the approach we took is we started day one by saying, let's understand and build all of our infrastructure and processes against the stringent requirements of not just data privacy, but also data security and all of the regulatory and quality requirements. So that's where like in the US, for example, the, the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration comes in that that governs how you know medical drugs and medical devices are, are, are used. So we built our entire platform and product at Bright Insight under those stringent requirements that, as you mentioned, cover 64 countries and all the variations and intricacies in those countries. And I will say, continuing to evolve rules and regulations in these countries, right? So so the fact that our infrastructure and our product you know, uh, meets those requirements and continues to monitor and meet those requirements is really a big part of how we can uh, support our pharmaceutical and medical device companies to build these types of innovations while having the ability to ensure strict compliance and to give their patients, their physicians, the caregivers, the peace of mind that their data indeed is is protected and appropriately managed to the requirements of that country. You're listening to Tech Nation. I've been speaking with Dr. Cal Patel, the co-founder and CEO of Bright Insight. What about the fact that everyone doesn't speak English? How do you address that? <laughs> That's a great question as well. So um, this is a nice little vignette about the evolution of our own company and technology. If you asked me that question a couple of years ago, I would have said, hey, look, let's take the Hyzentra app as an example. Uh, we can build this for you in, let's say, you know, Japanese. And then what we would do is we would go and rebuild the app in Japanese and it would take us a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money and, and all that to go do that. But we've been um, investing in our own technology. And what we can now do is literally change language uh, in a matter of minutes. Um, so when we, you know, what we believe is all the things that we build, you know, are built uh, in a way that gives our customers that flexibility to say, you know, we want to launch across these 64 countries and we want to be able to, you know, obviously localize the language to those countries. And that's not just about changing the language. As you can imagine, some languages you read right to left, others you lead left to right. So that's really, you know, the $100 million plus that we've put into our technology that gets now, you know, really utilized. And, and so what does that mean for a patient? Well, that means if we find our customers find an innovation that's really meaningful in one country, it doesn't have to wait years and years uh, and cost you know uh, a, a ton of money to bring that innovation to other countries, right? And and we can do that in a very simple, very efficient, and of course fully compliant manner to do that translation into different countries or even within a country. You can have obviously in a place like the United States where you know there's many native languages spoken. If somebody wanted to make you know their app available in different languages and give patients the option to choose which language they want to, uh, you know, uh, are comfortable um, using the app and we can, we can enable that. 
Now, uh, I also mentioned uh, the going from one country to another. I have a friend who went to India for a month this summer, and then she went and uh, she was in Paris for a month, and then she is back here ready to start teaching school again. And uh, if she had a device... We were talking about three different countries' rules, starting here, going to India, going to France, and coming back here. How do you work that out? Yeah. So, um, great question, and I'm uh, jealous of your friend's travels. Uh, (laughs) Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Though I will say I got to go to India over the last uh, New Year holidays, and I was in in, uh, France earlier this summer. So I just, my my travel was a bit more spread out than hers, but, uh, and probably a bit more work than hers. But, um, uh, so great question. So again, this comes back to understanding local data privacy requirements. So countries have requirements around, of course, what kind of data you can collect and how you have to keep it secure, but also where you store that, right? So for example, in the case of Europe, they have very strict requirements on the data centers, you know, in quote unquote, the cloud, if you will, like, you know, the in physical places where this data is going and being securely stored. So again, as part of working with Bright Insight, we automatically understand the requirements in all of these countries and store the data appropriate to those requirements. And then for the data to follow you, obviously as an individual patient, you don't want to come back and say, oh, where did my data from India go or, or, or France go, right? And so that gets to the next layer of, of uh, nuances on how you authorize for that. And, and it actually gets sometimes even to things like, well, what country are you a citizen of or a resident of, right? will determine um, how that data needs to be treated. So it's not just whether you're in a country, but are you a resident of that country or are you a visitor of that country? Which is why we have an amazing chief privacy officer. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's spends, you know, her full-time job is, uh, is to be on top of all of these, uh, rules and regulations and, and variations of how, you know, uh, data, um, you know, is created and who it belongs to and, and what you need to move, move it around. Um, but our goal is how do you deliver a great experience in a very compliant and secure, uh, uh, way for the end user, um, and then we kind of right take on the burden of understanding all of that in the back end, if you will, and then ensuring our technology can do that so that it doesn't have to be a one-off question every time, right? Um, so, but yeah, that's the modern world we live in. So, in her case, wherever she goes, eventually her data will all catch up with her, and it'll seem very simple. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not. But it's not <laughs> exactly a lot of compliance that happened behind the scenes for that to be done. Now, I do want to ask you something. You touched on it a little bit with Hisentra, but frequently, you know, people buy technical equipment from a stationary bike and a treadmill up to just about any kind of technology, and they use it for three weeks, a month, six weeks maximum, and then then it's in a drawer or it's just sitting there doing nothing. Do we know anything about how long people use these applications? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. And, you know, your your broader point is so important, right, which is any technology or breakthrough innovation is only as useful as it being appropriately used, right? And that came back to, you know, one of the questions you asked me at the beginning, which is we have these all these great drug innovations, but are they getting appropriately used, you know, all the time, right? And the reality is, is they're not. And that's where I think digital and the kinds of solutions we're building with our customers can have a massive impact at closing that gap. Um, just to to you know, build on your point around um, Hyzentra with CSL bearing, 
you know, the data, latest data I've seen there is, as I mentioned, 30 plus percent of their U.S. patient populations adopted the app. Um, you know, now it's available. Uh, I know I alluded to Japan, but it actually is available in Japan and and uh, Latin America and Canada, I believe, and, and other countries. Uh, but the U.S. data, where it's been uh, available the longest, is actually quite compelling. It, you know, basically, if that patient found initial value, right, that they they were using the app uh, in those first couple months. 89% of them continue to use that at the one year mark, right? And so that's that's unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely. That really is. And I think it just speaks to the fact that um, all of our lives, you know, in some ways you can say not always for the best, but all of our, you know, almost every aspect of our lives have digitized in a big way, right? And we all seek out that digitization to ideally, again, bring some kind of convenience or comfort or connection, you know, when, when done well. And in my humble opinion, I think, you know, healthcare education and government has largely missed out on fully taking, you know, advantage of, of the amazing technology innovation that's happened over the many decades, uh, you know, certainly the last several decades, especially as we think about um, cloud, as we think about mobile apps and so forth, right? And and that's kind of the future that, you know, we're excited about is how do you really leverage this technology in a way where we leverage it in so many other aspects of our lives, like our financial lives, as an example, or how we communicate with folks, you know, with, with uh, at work or with friends, loved ones, et cetera. Such a low-hanging opportunity here. Again, complex to serve is just your one example in privacy showed. But I think we owe it to, you know, ourselves and each other as, as you know, citizens and as patients to really um, embrace this and, 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 um, you know, help bring that personalization and, and better clinical and, you know, impact all of us and, and those we care about. And if this was 20 years ago, the idea that we would always have some piece of technology that we would have with us all the time. And here today, it's like, do you mean I have to spend a day without my smartphone or that I wouldn't have it a year from now? It's like, if you've ever misplaced your your, your phone, you're like, I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So our, we're, as a population, We've yes. totally changed. So this this actually the idea that that might help us with our health, that's that's uh, very fortuitous. Now let me just ask you where where are you going in the future? What challenges are next for you? Yeah, um, so is is I think you can appreciate the kind of work we're doing is fairly innovative. This is not you know mainstream yet, and so for us it's all about you know taking the kinds of examples I shared today and others and bringing them to market, showing really that clinical impact um, and broader business impact, you know, uh, research impact, et cetera, um, through these types of technologies, because then that'll really form the evidence base for, you know, pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies to invest more and, and adopt, uh, innovate more in this space, adopt more here. And of course, you know, for this data to come back to uh, the healthcare providers, uh, healthcare systems, um, and ultimately, right, all of us as, as consumers and patients to say, oh, wow, you know, this can really help all of us, right? And so the ultimate goal is we want to be part of part of the future where we're trying to improve clinical impacts while improving experience, bringing down costs overall in the healthcare system. Um, and so, so that's, 
you know, the kind of the next uh, step is just executing against that, executing against that vision as we, you know, again, broaden the reach and impact of, of what we can do with this innovation with, with more and more illnesses, more and more therapies, um, you know, with more and more uh, pharmaceutical and medical device partners. Now, you're an MD. You've treated many patients. The question I have for you is when you went to medical school, this wasn't really part of the, the vision. How does the existence of just these kinds of applications, how does that change your perspective as a physician? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, when I was in medical school, um, you know, and I very distinctly remember this, like in the in, in our computers, right, in the electronic medical records, what we had was basic lab data and we could start seeing basic x-rays like a chest x-ray but any imaging beyond that you had to go down into the basement and get hopefully you know a nice resident to take time and show you what a ct scan or mri or anything else showed right now all that data is seamlessly available in the electronic medical record itself right and that's um so if you think about the kind of data we're unlocking here, this kind of data has never existed before, right? So again, if you're using a, let's say, an implanted neuromodulator or you're wearing a continuous glucose monitor, that data was never being collected before. And now when that's collected, the first question is, okay, how do you turn that into insight, right? And then because nobody needs continuous streaming of your glucose data every minute. No, you don't need to see it every minute. Your doctor doesn't need to see it every minute. What they need is the insight. So that's step one is as a MD, what I would say is how do you put that back into the physician and patient's quote unquote workflow at the right time? And so that is a complicated question. The simple way I would answer that is it depends. So as an example, sometimes that data does need to go right back into the electronic medical record and sit side by side with all the other data that your physician has, you know, that they're looking at when you go visit them. Sometimes the data actually is best served to just stay on your phone. And when you're with the doctor, you hand them, you hand them the app, your phone, and they see the app. And, and there, there can be a physician tab that gives them the data they need right there because they really don't need to see it in between visits. They just need to see it to help augment and enhance the conversation they're having with you or the examination they're doing with you. And that data can help them ask the right question or contextualize one of your answers, right? And, and so then you don't need to necessarily do all the hard work of figuring out how to get it, it back into the medical record. You are the best conduit of that data at the right time with your physician. Frankly, you might actually get more of their attention on that data that way than it just kind of sitting in the medical record, right? So this absolutely is the kind of innovation that can't be done without really understanding who are all the users of the data on the inside and really thinking through what are their lives like and what how do their jobs or their lives work? And then how do you embed the right, I would, I would say not even data, but the right insight at the right time in the right place so that it really enhances uh, the discussion and ultimately the decision-making process and, the, and gets that patient-physician together to the right decision. Well, Dr. Patel, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you'll come back, see us again. I would love to do that, more. I really enjoy the conversation. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Cal Patel is the co-founder and CEO of Bright Insight. More information is available at brightinsight.com. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, 
Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.